You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national, sometimes the international, covering down on all of the issues. And like the dude just said, solid conservative and just plain right. Well, it's a brand spanking new week, and Boomer's on the board. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Did you have a good weekend? I had a great weekend. I know you headed to Tennessee for a bit and back. <laughs> a quick uh, quick up and down. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> glad you're back. Thanks. Um, hey, uh, we got plenty to do on today's show. I mean, like, wow, some topics to cover on that are going to take some time. But um, I will say this at 3 p.m., our friend Stephanie Smith is going to be with us commenting on some things related to executive action. But also, by the way, Stephanie Smith has a brand new position. Uh, her professional life has taken a twist. I will not let that cat out of the bag yet, but you're going to want to stay tuned at 3 o'clock uh, to get the scoop, uh, perhaps first in line to get the scoop uh, as to what is new in the life of Stephanie Smith, and uh, we'll talk to her at 3 o'clock. And then I got a triple dipper full of stuff, so Boomer, hit it. The Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right, the Triple Dipper, three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. So number one, executive action. What happens when the executive branch gets behind something? I mean, executives don't make the law, right? They just sign the law and then enforce the law. But what happens, though, when an executive branch actually says, here's our position? What does it do, good and bad? Well, we're going to talk about it, state and federal. We're going to talk about it. What happens, like right now? There are some things that are brewing, if you will, and some things that have been happening that we can look literally at the executive branch and go, there's the cause. That's what's pushing this. And even though they don't make the laws, they certainly have great influence. They have the power of the, of the office. They have the bully pulpit. So, yes, executive action means something. We're going to talk about it. Number one on the Triple Dipper. Y'all stand by for that. Number two, ah, uh, yeah. Every once in a while, and boy, I got an update on an older story. One of our most dynamic, woke stories that we've had in, in, in the last, I don't know, maybe the last year and a half. We got an update on it. So, yes, number two, adventures in woke world. You're going to want to hear. We got some, I mean, we got some stuff. I mean, just, uh, God. Anyway, we'll cover down on that. Number two, adventures in woke world. Number three, uh, got some very sobering stories out there right now. So, number three, I'm calling it on a war footing. I'm not saying we're going to war, but one four-star general in the U.S. military just recently advised the troops that we may be going to war. I'll tell you about that. He's saying that literally by 2025, he expects that we may well be in a massive conflict. So what else is happening, though, on the scale of that around the world? What other things should we be watching for? And, and is, it, is it a near-peer you know, fight with a, with a large-scale conventional army? Or are we talking about another... Um, you know, operation that's uh, that's at the insurgency level or what? I'll tell you. Number three, war footing. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. But speaking of which, let me turn to my comments for the day. Because I, I caught hold of something this morning that just really just resonated with me. And, and listen, I mean, every so often a speech comes along that is so inspiring that it transcends time. You know what I mean? 
I mean, it still means something to have words that inspire and motivate and push people to new heights, even in the face of extreme odds. I mean, words can be powerful, but when those words are combined with a strong delivery at a key moment in time, well, the words themselves can take on even additional meaning. I've got some speeches in my short list of dynamic orations that I just, I don't love. Like there's Ronald Reagan's Rendezvous with Destiny. It was one of many that he delivered that have just stood the test of time. Or better yet, you can watch it. I mean, read it, watch it, whatever. But Rendezvous with Destiny is one that I highly suggest every one of you take, take a moment for. Then there's Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena that clearly states that it is not all about winning. Sometimes it's about the doing of things that no one else will do. I'm a big fan of Nigel Farage's speech at the European Union when Great Britain's people decided they were having none of the EU anymore and they wanted Brexit to become the law. Winston Churchill, his We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech was a call to stand in the face of tyranny, even if it meant standing alone. MacArthur's speech at West Point on duty, honor, country has become a motto that's been inscribed in stone. All of these are epic speeches delivered by men who had the gift of oratory. They likely spent time developing their comments and prepared to deliver them with the same level of meaning that was actually received. But sometimes there are also moments when the spoken word is delivered by those who are not accustomed to public speaking. They may not speak as loudly or as refined, but they nonetheless inspire others with comments that are just what is needed at the time. Case in point is a speech that I was unaware of until this morning. It was actually delivered in 2019 by Army Staff Sergeant David Balavia at a Pentagon ceremony just a month before, after, excuse me, just a month after President Trump had awarded him the Medal of Honor. Now, I will preempt my recounting of Balavia's remarks by saying that we are in the middle of a culture war. It's a culture war, by the way, that is impacting our military. I don't believe for a second that our troops are all going woke, not at all, or that we are incapable of fielding warriors on the field of battle. To the contrary, our U.S. military, in my opinion, is still the finest in the world, and the young men and women that fill its ranks, they are an all-volunteer force. But at the same time, I do believe that politics and bleeding-heart liberalism has infiltrated at levels that we've never seen before. And it's having an impact as evidenced by 40-year lows in recruiting. Now, some may blame it on an overworked and overdeployed force. I don't. I never met anyone who joined the military so they wouldn't have to deploy. I've known plenty of, like, Beetle Bailey lookalikes who tried to duck hard duty and they complain when they had to go to hard places. But honestly, that's just a part of the tradition of arms. Soldiers and sailors always complain, but then they do their jobs. And then they sit around and tell war stories to those who understand them, and they sit quietly around those who don't understand them. But we don't have a problem, in my opinion, with finding people who are willing to fight. What we have a problem with is the perception being foisted by woke politicians, their appointees, and bleeding-heart, tired, old flag officers who want to sit on the porch. Listen, you tell young Americans that we're looking for the best of the best and we'll train them to fight our nation's wars, they'll beat down the doors of the recruiters' offices. But if you keep on telling them that their requests for religious accommodations on a on a useless mandated vaccine are going to be denied, or that they must shower with the opposite sex, or that they're part of a systemically racist organization that needs to be broken and fixed, or that sensitivity training trumps weapons training, well, good luck getting them to sign on the dotted line. Now, those are leadership issues. And leadership has been messaging the U.S. military into a dire position in the last couple of years. So back to Staff Sergeant David Balavia's speech at the Pentagon. Now, Balavia had been awarded a Silver Star in 2004 for actions in the Second Battle of Fallujah during the war in Iraq. As these things sometimes do, his medal was finally upgraded to the Medal of Honor and presented to him at the White House by President Trump in the June of 2019. 
A little over a month later, Staff Sergeant Balavia was called upon to deliver a speech at the Pentagon's Hall of Heroes. And in his speech, he minced no words, and he spoke of the warriors he had served with in Fallujah, some of whom died in the same battle that resulted in his own heroics. His comments were captured on video, and they were recently made into a, another video which has gone viral on TikTok of all places. Better than any highbrow speech by a skilled orator, Staff Sergeant Balavia delivered remarks that have grabbed the attention of many and are said to be working in the recruiting world. In part, this newest Medal of Honor winner said this, and I quote, he said, Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, they may be watching this right now. Our military should not be mistaken for a cable news gab fest show. We don't care what you look like. We don't care who you voted for, who you worship, what you worship, who you love. It doesn't matter if your dad left you millions when he died or if you knew who your father was. We have been honed into a machine of lethal moving parts that you would be wise to avoid if you know what's good for you. We will not be intimidated. We will not back down. We've seen war. We don't want war. But if you want war with the United States of America, there's one thing I can promise you. So help me God, somebody else will raise your sons and daughters. As of today, that video where that man basically said, we will do what is necessary, has been viewed nearly 8 million times and garnered more than 13,000 comments. The Army has a $600 million advertising budget, which they've been spending in part on ads about things like Susie having two mommies and finding her calling in the Army. And yet this is the video made for free, spoken by a warrior that has garnered all the attention and has a slew of comments about how this, this is the kind of message that makes people want to join our vaunted U.S. military. So tell them you will help them to find their compassionate side or develop the ability to set aside their personal privilege, that you need them to help the military to become more inclusive or that faith matters less than vaccines or that we don't want them to bring their patriotism to the ranks. Tell them those things and recruiting will stay at a low, low ebb. But you tell them that you'll make them into warriors in the spirit and vein of those who went before them and stormed the beaches and rained from the skies and defended and protected that which we hold dear and they will beat a path to the recruiters. So thank you, Staff Sergeant David Balavia, for reminding us that the warrior ethos is still alive. And that's a wrap for the right side way. Yeah, I'm just telling you, man, I read that and I wanted to join back up. I'm just, I'm just saying, I mean, when he ends that thing by saying, if you want a war with the United States of America, there's one thing I can promise you. So help me, God, someone else will raise your sons and daughters. I'm just saying, that's, that's the kind of thing that makes people want to join. Not to be warmongers, but just to be warriors. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back phil williams right side radio solid conservative just plain right um man the text lines are already going boomer uh so yeah folks if uh you want to text in or call in the number is the same 833-687-4448 and uh, if you're texting in for the very first time 
That's 833-68-RIGHT. That's the number. If you're texting in for the very first time, text us your first name and where you're from so we can uh, we can work with that and, and plug you into our system. James from Harvest just heard my monologue uh, and, and just said basically, oorah. So uh, thank you, uh, James. Appreciate that, man. Um, Bruce from Hazel Green just said awesome monologue, Phil. Thank you, sir. Uh, Jeremy from Huntsville said, God bless America. Great job. Great monologue. Mm. Uh, see this kind of thing that just, just, I guarantee you just hits a chord. John from Huntsville. Um, I don't know what happens, but he's talking about your Alabama basketball team. <laughs> he's he just is. giving Boomer a ration. He Alabama's is. basketball team finally went kaboom, LOL, says John from Huntsville. <laughs> that's, that's for you, Boomer. I, I figure. Uh, Sean from Owens Crossroads says he was with 2-1 and 3-5 in Fallujah from May to November 2004. Uh, we took the Jolon district, he says. Crazy because I was an Air Force dog handler. How about that? That is crazy. Wow. Uh, Sean, thanks for your service, man. By the way, I was in Baghdad 2004, and the, uh, the operations plan had us go into Fallujah, uh, and that actually, um, uh, my, our portion of that got canned. So uh, we, not like we didn't have enough going on in central Baghdad, though, I can tell you that. But, yeah, exact same time frame, so appreciate you. We were on the ground at the same time, Sean. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, and he also just texted in again, says, anytime Fallujah's brought up, my stomach drops. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I get it, bro. Um, uh, we have a new texter on the line. Boomer, he just texted in. Cody Ooh. from Muscle Shoals. While I was watching, the text just popped in. Cody yep. Cody from Muscle Shoals, glad you're on the on the line with us, dude. Uh, we got so much happening right now here at Right Side. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, we I, do. I, I, will say, <laughs> I will say this. There's a lot of doings happening in our doings world, um, but uh, not the least of which is that this coming Wednesday, uh, the new the newest uh, version of what you can hear from Right Side is coming out. The new podcast with Boomer himself and the lovely McQueen. Um, yes, it's going to be awesome. You guys posted that video. This we posted weekend. the video. Yes, on Instagram and <laughs> Facebook and stuff. It was just it was just, it just funny. It just cracked me just, up. Yeah. Just well, funny. actually, you posted two. Yes. You have one little promo video. <laughs> then you have the one of y'all sitting in the studio with McQueen trying to figure out how to use the headphones. And you're headphones like, and microphone. Oh, and, and you oh, got man. up and left the room. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what I was thinking. Of, you know, have her do it with me. But you know what? It's, it's going to be fun. Uh, actually, I know what you were thinking. <laughs> she makes you look good, man. She makes me look really good. Yeah, I'm saying she's your better three quarters. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, the the new podcast with Boomer and Queen, McQueen drops this coming uh, Wednesday, February Wednesday. the first. Yep, it'll be up on Wednesday. All podcast forums. Where all can they find it? Say, Boomer. Let's see. You can. You'll probably be able to see it on the website, on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, on Spotify, iHeart. You name it, it'll probably be there. By golly. Yeah, just look up Right Life podcast just right life or the right life and you'll find it part of the right side family that's right all right well that's <laughs> that's pretty cool I'm, I'm glad of it it's gonna be fun it is gonna be fun I, I think what's important too is that we've got we've got opinions that they come from various angles um you know that, that right side is you know i, I th- there was there was talk about one day having the phil williams show and i was not at all comfortable with that but what i love is having right side radio and then right side media, which does other things. So mm. uh, very, very cool. <laughs> Speaking of which, y'all, if you're not familiar, uh, right side radio is its own business. We are not part of uh, one of the channels you're listening to in terms of anything more than having a relationship with them uh, with the airtime. Um, they're wonderful. I mean, we get along great with the management of all of our stations and they have been just wonderful for us and with us and walked us through some things and, you know, showed us the ropes. Uh, but I will say this, uh, in the end, uh, Right Side is still its own business. And if you want to advertise on Right Side Radio, the Nielsen rankings have this show as the number one afternoon talk show across the northern part of the state. And if you want to advertise on Right Side, you got to contact Right Side. 
we can square you away. But yes, we do sell our own advertising inventory, and uh, and we would love to have you on the team. So if that's something you're interested in, you can go to our website, rightsideradio.org. That's www.rightsideradio.org, and you can uh, find the contact tab. Send us a message, and we'll get uh, we'll get our folks in charge or in, in 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 with you. I know. Sales folks are up in Huntsville today meeting with some people uh, who did that very thing, Boomer. Yeah, um, and then they did. Also, they just re- they they uh, emailed in, and then we got got them right to. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked about it too. <laughs> yes, me um, too. I'm excited for that one to I was, that one to start airing because I was communicating with yeah. another one too this morning. Oh uh, yes, uh, you know, Second Amendment friendly, if you will. Mm. Uh, and then talking to another one the other day, a, a brand new gun range that may want to advertise. So I'm digging it, man. Love it, especially yeah. gun range. Oh yeah, I'm just saying. Oh. Oh saying. yeah, maybe we should do like a gun range, like I don't know, get together with all the ruffians one day. <laughs> you know, bunch of ruffians, bunch of ruffians guns. at the gun range. Yeah, we'll see what. <laughs> oh 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 oh! Got a brand new texture too that just came in. Laura from Decatur says, "Shout out to Ernie Yarbrough for being a guest again. I like it." Laura from Decatur, we agree. Uh, Ernie's a good one. In fact, I was pretty stoked because Ernie's name came up in our show on uh, Friday. Uh, he's going to be carrying a school choice bill that we're pretty excited about. Our friend Becky Gerritsen from the Equal Forum was here talking about the Price Act, which is going to be um, a school choice bill that they're touting and, and supporting. And um, and she said the bill sponsors were going to be Larry Stutz and Ernie Yarbrough, um, both of whom from North Al- Northeast Northwest Alabama, actually. Uh, so, yep, Laura from Decatur, glad you're on board. Sean from Owens Crossroads says, gun range with Just Love Coffee catering. Ah, <laughs> ah. I like it. Digging it. <laughs> All right. We'll see what happens, man. Uh, Dustin from Hazel Green. I uh, got about a thing about a Florida, Florida bill that says that uh, handgun owners win huge. I did see that. In fact, I may do a Second Amendment segment later this week. Um, Dustin from Hazel Green, I'm telling you, he wants to know about a new gun range. So <laughs> he said, I've got a $3,000 Creedmoor, Creedmoor build I need to stretch out. Ooh. Man, bro. Oh, that's, that's that's serious. So, uh, Dustin, if you're looking for known distance range, if you have not been to Talladega, which is right down the road from you, I mean, it's like a about a 45 minute drive down the road from you. Then one of our newest advertisers is about to be the Civilian Marksmanship Program. They've got a CMP range with computerized uh, uh, targeting. Uh, you can go out to six or 800 yards. I forgot which on their known distance range. It's it's epic good, and you ought to check it out. So, um, there's that. I think I just did an ad for them, basically, by doing that. <laughs> you did. Tell them right side. Yeah. You. <laughs> Chris from Madison just texted in and said, served in Baghdad in 2003, Desert Storm vet and OAF-1 vet, Army Hua. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for your service. All right, folks, up against the hard break. Coming right back with number one of the Triple Dipper, executive action. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right. Here we go.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right, covering down on some ground across the northern half of the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi, all thrown in just for good measure. Hey, you're getting a lot of response still from that monologue. Just got an email from uh, uh, one of our listeners who calls himself Doc Tom. Uh, Doc Tom says, hey, Phil, great message. I'm 65 and I want to sign up. He says, we don't carry a big stick to take someone's freedom. We carry a big stick to keep our freedom. That's well said, sir. Uh, And then uh, what else we got here? Bruce from Hazel Green just texted in, says, Air Force veteran Minuteman Missiles, Grand Force, North Dakota. Thank you for your service, sir. Um, John from Brownsboro uh, just texted in. uh, I'm trying to see what I've got here. Uh, Oh, he's he's talking about your podcast, remember? So I saw that one. Uh, You've already replied to that, I see. Yep, good deal. Uh, John from Huntsville. Phil, do they have grenade launcher ranges? No. <laughs> I don't believe they do, no. Um, Raven from Russell says, nobody wants war, but we have to be ready. Readiness does not mean making our warriors into snowflakes. In- indeed, sir. Um, Jason from Jasper suggests that we should go out to the gun range, have it catered by Just Love Coffee, and serve maple bacon donuts. Ooh, I'm, ooh. I am for this. This sounds like an epic Saturday, in my opinion. Yes. Um, uh, we got some new ones coming in. Uh, brand oh, yeah. new texter, Dwayne from Winfield. Appreciate you, man. Glad you're in the queue. I see you've got a text there, but I haven't seen it yet, so I'll get back to it. Uh, I just saw somebody else was new, too. Where was it? I guess. Nope. I know I had another new one. Maybe you already put their name I in there. Did, I did, and I it. now don't remember. Darn. Well, okay, other new I'll person. Thank you for that. I'll there. go back. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, number one of the Triple Dipper. Executive action. All right. Call it the executive push, if you will. So there's a lot of talk about, you know, the separation of branches, and I totally agree with that. I mean, there are times when the legislative branch has to do what it wants to do, believes is right, regardless of what the executive will do. Sometimes, too, you do stuff knowing full well the executive won't sign it or is going to veto it. Go ahead and put them on the spot. Your job is not to do the other branch's job, but I get it. There's also times when you want to coordinate. You want to have joint effort. You want to show a unified front. You want to show that you've got you know, the ability to pass a law and it become the law. Well, you can pass the law. It doesn't become the law until the executive signs it. It's just part of the way our system works. And it's a good system. It's a checks and balances. But, but I will say this, the executive branch has a bully pulpit far more than the legislative branch does really. In my opinion, the executive branch has the power um, of the, uh, of, of the, of the actual office of the presidency or of the governor or whatever the case may be. And so when the executive branch sets a policy or provides an emphasis or, for that matter, refuses to provide an emphasis, well, it means something. Don't think for a second. Now, like when Biden says, well, it's time on the, on the border. Well, it's time for Congress to take action. <laughs> First of all, sir, you had a Democrat Congress until about, mm, what, two months ago. But secondly... No, actually, actually, they just took office. So, yeah. Um, but, but anyway, the bottom line is this. You cannot put off your policies on another branch of government. If they buck it or change it or fight it or rule against you in court, I get it. But you don't have that luxury when you're the one setting policy and you can control the flow of something or, for that matter, provide a regulatory emphasis. Here, here's a case at the local level. School choice. What's going to happen with school choice this year? Anybody's guess. 
I am hopeful that we're going to see some measure of school choice passed in the Alabama state legislature when it goes into session in March. There's talk. There's more chatter than usual. The unusual thing we've got right now is that the governor and lieutenant governor have both openly stated unsolicited that they believe that this is the way to go. Now, Governor Ivey's been very careful not to go too far in her comments, so we don't know what she's advocating for. But she's open to school choice, she said, or expanded school choice. Lieutenant Governor Ainsworth, on the other hand, story came out January 23rd, just a week ago. Lieutenant Governor Ainsworth, who, by the way, is not the one who signs bills into law, but he does preside over the Senate. And it is widely expected that he would be a candidate for governor should he have the option, you know, in the next election cycle. Lieutenant Governor Ainsworth, it says, continues his push for school choice, saying, I'm all in. Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth, it says in an 1819 News, continues to push for school choice as the March legislative session, session creeps closer. Since the 2022 regular session, the cries for school choice have grown louder. It says Alabama's poor national performance in reading, math, and science has led many to consider schools other than those in which they're currently zoned. And it points out that we lost our two school choice champions, uh, Senator Del Marsh and Charlotte Meadows, uh, neither of whom are in the legislature now. Um, but it points out that Ainsworth and Governor Kay Ivey both made school choice one of the topics they chose to address in their inaugural speeches. And then over the weekend, apparently taken to Twitter, just not last weekend, but the weekend before, Lieutenant Governor Ainsworth said, I believe it's time for real school choice that allows parents in Alabama to decide what's best for their children. So that kind of emphasis, well, it means something. And when you see a state legislature, oh, you know, oh, the teachers union, I just don't know. Can we buck the trends? I don't know. Weakness and apathy, I don't know. But when you have the executive branch saying, hey, can we get on board here? Hey, we need to do this. Well, it, at the very least, it can make their legislative backs a little straighter. So there's that. The other question that I would have is, what about tax relief? Now, we're hearing the legislature again chatter about tax relief. They've already begun, in my opinion, to begin kind of pulling back from it. You're starting to see the crawfishing. Well, we don't know how much we can do. We, these are one-time monies, and it's very important that we, I get it. I get it. My friend Clay Schofield was here in the studio last week, and he said the same thing. He's the Senate Majority Leader. He said, we got to be careful. These are one-time monies, but something good's going to happen. We just got to figure out what. Well, what happens, though, if the executive branch really gets on board? Story came out of uh, Alabama Today just uh, last fall. It says Governor Kay Ivey at that time, before the election, by the way, before the election, <laughs> campaign promises, Governor Kay Ivey addressed the Kiwanis Club of Montgomery in September of last year saying in addition to the governor's normal talking points, she added support for providing tax relief in the pocketbooks of Alabamians. Okay, now she's on record. When the legislature looks at something like this, they want to know, is the executive branch going to pocket veto this thing or just veto it outright or send back an executive amendment? Or are they going to say, that's what we need to do, fellas. Y'all pass it and send it to me. I'll sign it into law. When you get that kind of executive push, it means something. And so right now, we do have the lieutenant governor and the governor both saying they're for school choice. We do have the governor saying she is for some measure of tax relief, although she was careful with her terms about how much. 
But I'm just telling you, folks, it matters. The executive branch has the power of the bully pulpit. And if they use it effectively, they can actually move legislative action. And they do. And I, I mean, when I was down there in Montgomery, uh, the, 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 basically the, uh, the governor's office had its own lobbyists, so to speak. By the way, if you see somebody with the title governmental affairs, that basically means they're a lobbyist for an organization. They're not a lobbyist like an independent lobbyist, but they do go and act on behalf of that, uh, that, uh, that entity, that governmental office, uh, in terms of legislative affairs and trying to get policy uh, action put into place. So the legislative affairs guys from the governor's office were constantly on the, uh, the floor of the uh, Senate talking to us, trying to get, you know, Bent- when I was there, it was Bentley, when was trying to get Bentley's, um, you know, priorities put in place, uh, and then Ivy when she took over. But at the national level, you know, what we're seeing right now is at the national level, the Biden administration is actually choosing not to do some things. And, and when the executive branch stays silent, that speaks volumes, too. So you have to look at this and go, OK, the workings of government are that the power of the purse and the legislature is the one that legislates laws into existence. But the executive branch has the power of regulation and enforcement and, oh, by the way, can then use its bully pulpit to get more action. But what about when they just sit quietly and do nothing? Case in point, story on the National Review came out uh, five days ago. New York City mayor rips the White House for failing to identify a point person in charge of the border. I mean, so, okay. It's funny to me that this is Eric Adams. This is liberal Democrat Eric Adams. But he's calling out the Biden administration. Good for him. I'm glad he is. New York City Mayor Eric Adams called out the Biden administration for failing to communicate with big city mayors about federal efforts to solve the border crisis. In other words, Biden keeps saying, well, we have a plan, but the legislature needs to act. Congress needs to take action. No. When asked whether he had any constructive conversations about bringing more order to the border with the Biden administration, Adams was frank. This is what this is what the mayor of New York said. He said, I was told we have an individual that's coordinated the operation. And as I share with the White House officials, I don't know who that is. What you're seeing there is executive non-action. The crisis on the border is not because of Congress's inaction. The crisis on the border is because this is an executive branch that has chosen not to do. And by not doing, they're technically doing, if that makes sense. They are, they are not doing something which is having the reverse effect of what it could be. I mean, just think back to Trump. When Trump was in office, what was he doing? He was realigning financial priorities to build the wall. He was enforcing policies at the diplomatic level because he had that opportunity. He had that ability. He was, he was working on agreements, international agreements with Mexico and Canada. As a result, we had literally seen illegal immigration just, just cascading down. As soon as Biden took office, what did he do? He got rid of Trump's executive orders. He literally signed contravening executive orders, which signaled to the world that it was a whole new day. And where are we now? The floodgates are open. And you've got a liberal Democrat mayor of one of the largest cities in the world saying, we got a problem, and it's the Biden administration doing it. And I've told them I want to talk to their person, and they told me there's a person but I can't even figure out who it is. What does that tell you? Executive inaction. 
I tell you what, let me go through my stack here. I got a couple more that I'll get to about this. Oh, here's one. Yeah, this will make you mad. Stand by. The Biden administration is giving left-wing groups hundreds of millions of dollars to help illegal immigrants fight their deportation. I mean, I can't, I can't make this. I'm, here, it's a real article. I'm showing the camera. It's, it's why I, I, I'm <laughs> boomer. I, I don't have an explanation for it except to say this is what the executive branch can do or not do if it wants to. Apparently, man. So, so yeah, you've got two left wing nonprofit groups that have content, combined to rake in hundreds of millions of dollars, according to a story on Fox News from last week, six days ago. Literally, taxpayer backed government contracts since. President Biden took office with two groups. One's called the Vera Institute of Justice. The other is the Acacia Center for Justice. Vera Institute has collected around $350 million to help ward off the, quote, so-called threat to civil liberties by deportation of illegals. And the Acacia Center, a newer nonprofit linked to the Vera Institute, has also pocketed tens of millions of dollars in recent federal contracts, and they are a left-wing immigration group. And, and, and you've got one guy saying here, these enemies of the law get over 90% of their revenue from the government, more than defense contractors get. It says a sane government would resist these foes of civilization, not fund them, and certainly not help them bring more chaos to our poorest and most vulnerable communities. But that's where executive action right there. That's the executive branch doing what it wants to do, taking no position to help, taking every position to hurt. The executive branch, it does have a bully pulpit. Take me to a break, brother. We'll do that right now. I'll come back and give you a few more examples of what happens when the executive branch can do its thing or not do its thing. What does that do? Well, it drives up activism in some cases, like the pro-abortion extremists that I'm about to tell you about when we get back. Y'all stay tuned. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We will be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Understanding the ins and outs of government is so important. It's more than it's more than making you an educated voter. It's it's the kind of thing that that makes you uh, uh, basically feared by those in government because you understand the processes. You know, when when someone in government says yes, but that's really not the way it works, and you look at them and go, yeah, it does. Uh, that that means something. And, and I'm not talking about being disrespectful. I'm just saying that. That knowing the flow, you know, go down to the state house. By the way, I, I used to love it when my constituents would show up at the state house, um, and and walk the halls, see how it works. Uh, go to a committee meeting, pick a pick a committee or a bill that you care about, and just go down there and visit. Or for that matter, you know, if you um, if you have the opportunity, I would especially encourage you go down to Montgomery while they're in session, take the kids, and let them have a um, um, uh, an educational experience about how government works. It'll, you can you can watch a a committee meeting for a few minutes, you can go sit in the gallery and watch the House or the Senate do its thing. Uh, walk across the street to the state archives and look at the state history here. By the way, the archives is a world-class museum. Uh, get a tour of the Capitol. I mean, all these things are available, and it's, it's, it's so cool. It's so, 
in my opinion, it's so necessary because it, 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 it builds within us as voters a greater understanding of what it takes to run government, which gives us an edge when it comes time to vote because then we know how to ask the, uh, the candidates questions and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm spending time right now focusing on the issue of the or basically the fact that executive branch cannot enact the laws, but the executive branch certainly, certainly has the power of the bully pulpit. It has the ability to make things happen, not the least of which right now is the level of rhetoric coming out of the Biden administration for abortion. Things like um, Kamala Harris giving her speech last week where she actually omitted the words life from life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness uh, in, in her quoting of the Declaration of Independence, where the Biden, President Biden himself um, uh, claims that he's all for the idea of abortion rights because it's, in, in his opinion, it's, uh, it's part of, you know, reproductive health. And then, you know, the Biden administration's uh, recent determination that they can mail abortion pills to any state they want to, regardless of whether that state's laws say they are a pro-life state, like Alabama. That's an executive emphasis. That is them blowing off the idea of what the laws actually say at the state or even the federal level. They are literally taking action. And it causes things like what I've got here in my hands from January 24th, just what, six days ago. Pro-abortion extremists indicted for allegedly defacing pro-life pregnancy centers. Now, here's the caveat. The funny thing is, it was the actual federal Department of Justice that did do the indictment. So I got to say, it's a little bit of a, huh, that's good to hear. But I also point out, though, that there's a great deal of frustration because these are allegations from almost a year ago. Um. I've got one uh, indictment uh, that comes days after the uh, FBI offered $25,000 in reward to sources for things that happened uh, in the early part of 2022. And one of the pregnancy centers that was defaced in this article that I'm talking about said earlier this month it planned to hire its own private investigators to to find suspects because they said the FBI is slow walking its probe. Nonetheless, uh, you've got activists that feel emboldened. Why should they not? They're being told that the Supreme Court is evil. They're being told that they can rally outside of the Supreme Court's uh, justice homes. They're being told that that they have a right to feel anger and that, you know, everything about abortion is about a right. It's not a right. The Supreme Court's already determined that. But nonetheless, these two yahoos down in Florida, they felt empowered, according to this article from National Review, and they were indicted because they decided to go on a a vandalism spree in uh, places like Hollywood, Hialeah, and where was the other one? I think this was in in Orlando, Winter Haven. Defacing and vandalizing pro-life counseling centers. All right, folks, we got plenty more, but coming up top of the hour, we're going to take a a moment and talk to Stephanie Smith. Our friend Stephanie has got a new gig in life. We'll tell you about that and get her thoughts on some things that are happening and what she thinks about executive action. She used to work for the Riley administration. She's got some perspective. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back.
right side ruffians out there, you are listening to... You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams, live here in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national covering down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Hour number two here on Monday, January the 30th. And we're going to the phones right now. Our friend Stephanie Smith, who has been a frequent flyer here on the show, she comes in and provides an amazing uh, level of uh, quality commentary on conservative topics and, and you know political issues. Uh, Stephanie has a long experience uh, working uh, in uh, uh, state government, uh, dealing in governmental affairs for major corporations, uh, her own business, Thatcher Coalition, and in an announcement that may be new to many of you, Stephanie Smith, as of last week, is the new president and CEO of the Alabama Policy Institute. So without further ado, President Stephanie Smith, how are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing great, Phil. That was quite the intro, so I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I feel like the uh, the guy uh, at, at the uh, at the, uh, the the jousting who has to announce the next night for the joust. Coming to us <laughs> with a pedigree long held in awe by many in the world. Anyway, thank you, Stephanie, for joining us today. <laughs> you should do it in old English sometimes. <laughs> yeah. That would be really entertaining. Verily I say unto thee, yes. Um, <laughs> well, hey, so... Uh, you're the you're the new you're the new dude over at uh, API. I know, I know, and that's come as a surprise to some. Um, maybe not to you quite as much, but um, to some to some others. But uh, I'm excited about the opportunity. I think that um, you know, I mean, both of us have believed in the mission mission of API for right. a long time, and it's exciting to be able to be at the helm and really start to shape some politics from some policy. Well, and, and I tell you what, uh, for those, I mean, a lot of folks in my listening audience are already familiar with API. For those who are not, uh, the Alabama Policy Institute for almost 35 years has been a conservative policy advocacy and think tank, um, one of many around the nation like these because it's called the State Policy Network. Uh, it was founded by mm-hmm. Congressman Gary Palmer. Uh, after Gary left for Congress, uh, Caleb Crosby came on as president. Caleb served for, what, the last seven or eight years, I believe. Um, and uh, his time was, was uh, coming to a close, and and the, and the board asked you, and you accepted the job last week. Am I right? That is right. It was um, official, officially announced last Wednesday. So um, I'm just getting my feet on the ground and, and trying to figure out what is here, what's not here, and what needs to be done. But it, it's, uh, it, like I said, it's really exciting, and it's just one of those things, you know, if you could write your story, this is one of the things I would have written into it. Uh, as far as just being involved with API, I've been involved uh, on and off with API for 15 plus years, and it's uh, you know an organization that I believe in and a mission that I believe in, and so it's a privilege to be able to be uh, in leadership on their behalf. So let me ask you. I mean, we'll get into actual issues uh, here on the show here in a minute, but but sure. with regards to API, I mean every mm-hmm. every leader. 
obviously has the right to put their own stamp, you know, on the brand, so to speak. Uh, and Caleb certainly did that. Of course, Gary did that. Gary Palmer, uh, in his time, he founded it. Um, but uh, are there things that you like? Have you, if, if you looked at this and said, "Here's my wish list of what I want to accomplish or see us do as an organization uh, under my tenure." Yeah, when Caleb um, during Caleb's tenure, he really was focusing on. Um, external media and how things were communicated, uh, whether or not that was through right side or whether or not it was through uh, 1819 News or um, you know, some other outlets. That was such a focus that, that he had while he was here, and so much has been accomplished in that area um, that what I would like to do is revert back to the original roots of API, um, the original policy analysis, resources um, for elected officials, resources for the people of Alabama, um, do research, do advocacy, do public education efforts, and try to get information out from a more in-depth kind of um, perspective and also um, from a best practices type of perspective as far as a comparison to what other states are doing and just kind of an understanding of what it means to be a conservative in the state of Alabama. Well, I mean, I think that's awesome. I mean, I, when I was in the state legislature, um, I, I think I've told you before, I used to go to the podium to argue, and I, I was often, you know, I was sort of lawyered up, kind of like I am here in the studio. I had my resources ready. Right. A lot of times it was an iPad that I had multiple tabs opened on for, to help my debate, and there was usually always on a, on a major bill a white paper done by the Alabama Policy Institute that I could rely on. And um, uh, my own daughter years ago, uh, actually was a paid intern uh, at API, and she did deep dive analysis uh, on federal dollars that came into our state. That was a project that she kind of cut her teeth on. Um, but um, yeah. a lot, a lot of, there's, well, there's a lot of room for that. Yeah, and API has done really good work for almost 35 years now. Um, and, and what I would like to do, like I said, is return to a lot of our research roots and um, do those deep dives and give people the resources that they need to make good public policy. Because as you know, from being down there uh, as a state senator, there's not a lot of staff. Um, and, and the House, the members of the House actually have even, you know, fewer resources. Yeah. And so what ends up happening a lot is that paid lobbyists or special interests are the ones that come up with the, quote, good ideas. And what we need I believe is to have, you know, this this uh, nonprofit, um, conservative leaning but not partisan minded organization that is fueling the fire of good ideas on behalf of the state, and that's what I want API to be. And then also be able to make those same resources available to the general public so they can dialogue with their legislators as needed. Um, that was always kind Absolutely. of a thing. If you send somebody, if well, they say, well, I don't like that bill, and you send them a copy of a white paper that showed them why they should like the bill, it could be right. a game changer. Well, it can be a game changer, and it can also be one of those things that, you, unless you've really studied something in depth, what you're really reading is talking points. And so it's a rejection of talking points, a rejection of kind of the spin from the special interest and more of a, this is a thorough analysis and um, here are the actual facts instead of just the spin that somebody might be trying to sell you. All right. So let me, let me, let me flip to another part of your resume. You spent time working in the Riley administration, didn't you? I did. I was uh, assistant finance director and then deputy finance director. 
Okay. And so in that time, I would imagine you watched policy being formed uh, at the executive level. Um, and, 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 and you also, you yeah. also, yeah, you know, the value sometimes of even trying to influence policy there with, uh, with deep dive uh, research. Oh, sure. Yeah. My, my job in the finance department was budget development um, and workforce development. And so my entire job in the finance department was to develop the budget and then get them through the legislative process. And so there are thousands of decisions that are made as far as the budgetary process goes, and that goes hand in glove with exactly what we're trying to accomplish at API as far as budget and tax reform issues. Well, and let me ask you this too. I've been on for the last half hour before you came on the air. I've been doing a, a, a segment of the show, uh, my, my first dipper, I call it executive action. And what it means to have the bully pulpit either used for good or used, you know, not for good. And, 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 and right. one, of the, one of the governors that Alabama's had in recent history that I felt like was the most effective at asserting his policy positions was Governor Riley. Um, uh, I think there were times when Bentley just struggled with that. Uh, and, and Ivy, I think, has had the hand of, the, uh, of, of Speaker McCutcheon, but she's lost that now, so I'm curious to see how this is going to work out. But, um, mm-hmm. but Riley always seemed to project uh, his policy positions Talk to me about the influence of the executive and how that can be used for the right purposes. Sure. It's it's very similar, in my estimation, to the situation with with legislators, which is, you know, your your policy perspective and the depth of your understanding of your policy really goes to your staff. You can't expect the executive to have all of the answers. So you have to have people on staff or people working alongside your staff in order to get those good policy ideas really vetted first and then handed off for the legislative process. And so that's definitely something um, that I will be working on. I've reached out to Governor Ivey's office. I've spoken um, with Lieutenant Governor Ainsworth already. I talked to him the first day it was announced um, that morning. And so um, we are working on those relationships and working on trying to figure out different ways that we can be helpful and different ways that we can push some buttons and, and, and pull people to the direction that we want them to go on issues. And that's exactly what API is supposed to do. Well, I'm excited. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was an advocate for you when I knew this change was imminent. I was, I was, I was pleased to see that you were the, the person being strongly considered. I don't know if anybody else was in the queue, uh, but, uh, nonetheless, there was nobody else I could have imagined coming on with the experience you have and the ability to help affect policy. So glad you're there, Stephanie Smith. Well, I appreciate the vote of confidence before and after, Phil, and um, <laughs> I really appreciate that. And it is also one of those things, I, I do have the benefit of having worked alongside API for the last year or so, so I know I know what the platform says. I know what the goals are. Um, i have already a believer in the mission and the vision, so uh, it should be a fairly easy external transition and um, one of those things that, you know, those those of those supporters and donors of API and and people who appreciate um, what API has done for all of these years, I hope will be pleased with what continues to happen. Well, appreciate you, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking more in the future. We'll call you back in for uh, more policy discussion. But for right now, President and CEO of the Alabama Policy Institute, Stephanie Smith. Thanks so much. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate all it. All right, take care. Well, that was just cool. I like seeing our friends go good places, Boomer. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and Stephanie is just awesome. Well, she is. And and um, 
uh, what, what I get a kick out of too is she calls in and just chats with you for you know <laughs> as long as she chats with me it seems like and this is I love it this is good um, <laughs> but yeah great great to see things happening in and around uh, our show that uh, that has people in other places doing good things too so um, all right. Listen, we're going to come right back, wrap up number one of the Dippers, executive action. I got a couple more that I want to point out to you about what can happen when the executive branch decides to or not to do certain things. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. We are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. Wrapping up this section of the Triple Dipper on executive action. So what happens when the executive branch just does its thing? Well, I mean, they don't make the laws. They enforce the laws. But they are allowed the option then to interpret the laws sometimes and do things that they want to do. And also, by the way, to use the power of the bully pulpit and the power of governmental affairs action working with the legislature to do things that can just be good or be really bad. And we are constantly, as conservatives right now, watching what happens with an executive branch gone wild. So right now we are seeing the Biden administration do things like here's an article from the Epoch Times dated January 24th. So the Epoch Times is literally saying that Democrat policies from the Biden administration are set to burden American businesses with higher taxes this year. So part of this is regulatory. When they begin to overregulate, it's a it's a ad hoc tax, if you will. When they look at things like passing the Inflation Reduction Act and pushing for it, pushing for it, and getting their friends in the legislature to pass that bill for them, which, by the way, the idea that they can't get anything done in Congress on, you know, issues of import like border control, but they can get the Inflation Reduction Act and increase the uh, national debt to $31 trillion? Come on. But all I'm saying here is we're looking at right now, a study from the Epoch Times says that the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act and the allowance of the Trump tax cuts to simply expire which was part of the policy, is creating a potential of up to $115 billion in tax, new tax burdens for businesses. That's what happens when you have executive action pushing for something. They don't make the laws, but they can help, by the way, in terms of the interpretation or the enforcement or the regulatory options regarding the laws. But then there's also the fact that we have a president right now who clearly espouses that he does not believe that any of the Bill of Rights, the, the amendments to the Constitution, he does not believe that they are immutable. He believes that they are at all times flexible. They can be changed. But they're not, Mr. President. They have not been changed. So until you go full bore and you see the congressional action necessary, signed then by you and ratified by the appropriate amount of states, you cannot say that you can just take what action you want on the Constitution. And yet he does, constantly. Second Amendment being one of the biggest. Story here on Town Hall, dated January 24th. Biden calls for an assault weapons ban after the latest mass shooting. Well, of course he does. 
because we have an executive right now who does not believe in the Second Amendment. President Joe Biden on Tuesday once again called for a ban on so-called assault weapons after a mass shooting incident in Half Moon Bay, California. He says for the second time in recent days, California communities are mourning. And then he went on to say yesterday, Senator Feinstein, alongside Senators Murphy, Blumenthal, and others, reintroduced a federal assault weapons ban and legislation that would raise the minimum purchase age for assault weapons to 21. First of all, tell me what an assault weapon is. But secondly, he's telling them in the quote, deliver this assault weapons ban to my desk and take action to keep America's community schools and workplaces and homes safe. When you see that kind of executive push, what does it do? It emboldens the gun control activists. It emboldens the liberal state legislatures to know they have a friendly environment in which the DOJ will defend them in court if they pass an anti-Second Amendment piece of state-level legislation. All I'm saying is this. Folks, it matters what your executive branch does. They don't make the laws, but in, in essence, their bully pulpit can become the weight of law, if you will. Last one I'll give you. USAID, the U.S. Agency for International Development, this is the one that has the, the mission to, quote, promote and demonstrate democratic values abroad and advance a free and peaceful and prosperous world. This is USAID that acts as the arm of the State Department to do things in foreign countries. Oh, yeah, okay, you might be curious to know that a new guide from USAID AID, entitled Integrating LGBTQI Plus Considerations into Education Pro Programming is being touted across the world right now. In education arenas where USAID is helping provide resources in foreign countries, I mean, it's got a guide that literally says that you should not tell the parents what the sexual orientation preferences are of the child while at school. This is our government. This is the, this is the emphasis we see from the executive branch right now. And they're out there just doing stuff. Sometimes the legislature has to step in and say, stop that. Other times the legislature needs to actually do something and, 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 and act in accordance therewith. But when you have an executive branch that goes rogue or an executive branch that goes quiet or an executive branch that chooses to speak out in a positive way, amazing things can happen. But that executive action, that executive action should not be underestimated. They are a co-equal branch of government with the other two. But there are many who say that the most powerful branch is too often the presidency, especially in the era of the deep state when the regulatory burdens that bureaucrats are willing to put on can make all the difference in the world. All right. There, my soapbox, the power of the executive. Coming up sometime soon, we'll probably do one on the legislative. But in the meantime, we're going to switch gears. We're coming back after this Adventures in Woke World. Y'all stay tuned. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering some ground across the great state of Alabama. And I'm talking about this show goes way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back over to Gadsden, parts of Georgia and Tennessee and Mississippi, all thrown in just for good measure. Um, all right, it is that time. Every once in a while when I'm going through uh, the process of getting ready for the show and I'm resourcing, I call it resourcing early in the morning, and sometimes I know what my dippers are going to be in advance. Other times I recognize a trend within the news that I've got to go with, and this is one of those recurring trends because every once in a while I find myself overwhelmed at times even with the level of wokeness in our news cycle. So we have to do it every once in a while. We have to go for adventures in woke world. Hit it. Adventures in woke world. All right. <laughs> this one, I got some stuff, man. I mean, literally, I've got, I've got what I refer to as the buffet of wokeness. I've got the vast cornucopia, a plethora, if you will, if, of wokeness. Um, Boomer, do you remember the story we had two weeks ago? The, 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 the non, hang on, what was her, what was her thing? A oh, non-binary <laughs> Native, American Native American faker who also was the owner operator of a queer art collective. Oh, wow. You remember all that? Yeah, yeah, it was too much to handle. Like, That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was like, the it was the epitome of wokeness right was, there. It was all of it in one place. All of it. All of it right there. Can we please have some more wokeness in one story? <laughs> okay, to 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 back cuz I got an update. An update on that story? I got an update on that story. How did I miss this this morning? I don't know. Oh my goodness. It must have been early. It must have been early. <laughs> so, yeah, see, this is why you got to start drinking coffee, Boomer. I'm oh, just saying. Oh, bringing up the coffee. I had to bring the coffee in. <laughs> get, him, get him a little java juice. All right, so here's the story. Here's the original story. All right, y'all. New York Post ran this piece on January 3rd. Headline Kay LeClaire, the non binary art collective boss accused of faking Native American heritage. <laughs> Opening lines, the co-owner of a queer indigenous artist collective in Wisconsin is facing accusations of being white after claiming to hold Native American heritage. Clay, Kayla Claire, I can't do this. <laughs> Kayla Claire, who identifies as non-binary, allegedly faked there. That's, that's referring to her, by the way. She uses they, them. So Fox News, New York Post has got to use their allegedly faked their indigenous heritage and used the front to make money. No. Oh. No. Uh -oh. Say it's not true. <laughs> not true. Lecla she was, I, I love the part about how she was accused of being white. She was accused. Facing accusations of being white. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, LeClaire was accused in an online forum of actually being white. After claiming since 2017, they were of... Metis Oneida, Ashinabi, and Hadu no Sanani, and Cuban and Jewish heritage. <laughs> I can't. Oh. LeClaire is also a founding member of the collective and emerging leader in the Madison indigenous arts community, earned artist stipends, had a paid residence at the University of Wisconsin, multiple speaking. Anyway, okay. So to make sure that we got all of this right, I couldn't even follow. I know. <laughs> We almost need a whiteboard to put this up. It's all those words. Remember our dictionary? Oh, yeah. I've got it over here at the dictionary. I should have gone through that. <laughs> but so we've got this chick who identifies as 
non-binary, who faked her Native American heritage and is the owner of a, what do they call it? A queer indigenous artist collective. I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> and she's being accused of being white. Hey, you there, you're <laughs> white. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I mean, just be what you are, but that's that. that so here's her response, by the way. Oh, uh, oh she had a response. Oh uh, yeah. Oh. Notice how we call her she. All right. <laughs> LeClaire didn't originally answer questions, but she did issue a long statement in which she said, here's how they word it. I am sorry, they reportedly wrote. A lot of information has come to my attention. <laughs> a lot's come to my attention. You're a bold-faced liar. <laughs> that just came to your attention? You're a fake. You're, you're just absolutely weirdness in motion. A lot of information has come to my attention since late December. I am still processing it all and do not yet know how to respond adequately. What I can do now is offer change. What the frick does that even mean? You've offered enough change. Yeah, you've, <laughs> you've, had, you've offered a little too much change. Thank you so much. Okay, so that's the original story that had our show in paroxysms at uh, one point, Boomer. Yes. I mean, that one that one ranked up there with Monkeypox Task Force. It was up there because... We just couldn't get through the whole... I mean, we didn't even get through Woke World that day, if I recall. We, I don't think we did. Text lines went madness. Uh, the non, the queer, the co-owner, the non-binary <laughs> faker just, of her Native American heritage, co-owner of a queer indigenous art collective in Wisconsin facing accusations of being white. How much can we load? <laughs> that's the first two sentences. Whew. That's okay. A, that's a mouthful right there. Here's the update. Oh, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready for this update. It gets better. She also owned a indigenous and queer art tattoo parlor. <laughs> Talk about a niche audience. Wow. I mean, do they come far and wide, or do this have? I mean, do they have that many clients? Do you have to be a Native American queer art appreciator to get a tattoo at our tattoo parlor? Yes. God, bomb. This is, okay, bless her heart. That's where bless we are right now. Foxnews.com, dated last night. The University of Wisconsin-Madison had awarded a $5,000 10-week residency to an art scholar who pretended to be of Native American sense so the scholar could develop a, quote, toolkit and curriculum around, wait for it, <laughs> cultural appropriation. <laughs> I think at this point, I think at this point, I think at this point, she's she's teaching people how to be cultural appropriators. Wow. She's apparently an expert. <laughs> Kayla Claire, who uses they, them pronouns, labeled themselves as two-spirit, an indigenous term used to describe those who identify with both masculine and feminine qualities. LeClaire also co-owned an indigenous queer art tattoo parlor and art collective and held a spot on the missing and murdered indigenous women's task force. What? Huh. and garnered recognition as a prominent Native American voice before the controversy emerged. She even had been known, she was an activist, boom. She, she had, literally, here's one line from the article, says she had also previously criticized a nearby music venue formerly known as Winnebago, slamming the venue's white owners for allegedly profiting from Native American identities. While she faked her Native American heritage to get a paid residency 
as a Native American indigenous art collective <laughs> queer. I can't even keep up. I don't know what's happening now. Oh. Where do I go with this? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> this this so I so all right. I got text coming in. Yes. Um <laughs> so it's okay to call the possessed they them. Well, I guess if there's more than one in there, that that, that that's that's a that's an interesting piece. Uh thank you, hmm. Jeremy from Huntsville. Um Tony from Piedmont just texted in and said maximum complexity. Don't waste your time. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's reasonable, but it's wokeness. We got to call it out. Uh, Allison from Madison said, "My brain cells are officially on strike. They can't take any more wokeness." <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Stephen from Gunnersville just said, "This is exactly what has happened with the chickens and the eggs. They identify as roosters. Who would have thunk?" So that's why we have an egg shortage. All the hens are identifying as roosters. <laughs> they refuse to lay eggs. Um, Lee Lee uh, Leanne from Huntsville got to give you the business. I don't know what that means, but okay. Oh, she is. <laughs> She was talking about, she's like, that's the, the story Boomer made up. No, it's not true. <laughs> it's real. I'm holding it up to the, the camera right now. Uh, Leanne from Huntsville. It's right there. It's real. Oh, uh, so JT from Lacey Springs says, this is a pronoun explosion. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. That's out there, y'all. That's the kind of stuff that happens when I'm going through the news and I'm like, what did they say? All right. Some of it's funny. Some of it, some of it's like that where you have to roll your eyes and go, I don't understand. Bless their hearts. And then the others are like this maddening. Sometimes you just want to throw something at the radio. Um, here's one for you. The post-millennial reports as of two days ago. A Wisconsin. Oh, it's Wisconsin again. What is going on in Wisconsin? That was the same place where Kayla Claire is from. Oh, wow. Anyway, Wisconsin school district will hold a week-long gender identity and sexual orientation lesson for elementary school children. Oh, yeah. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin, the biggest city in Wisconsin, I think. The Madison Metropolitan School District in Wisconsin will dedicate a week in their upcoming year to teach elementary school kids from K through 5 about gender identity and sexual orientation with lessons that are created by LGBT activists from the Human Rights Campaign Foundation. A full week of this? Apparently. It's, and, and I don't know if it's going to be like their full day or just like something every day. But, yeah, it's going to be... Basically, a week. There, according to an email that was obtained by the Daily Caller, uh, the goal is for students to understand the difference between gender, sexual orientation, and sex signed at birth. Students are not being asked to share their specific identities, just to acknowledge that they exist and are different and how to show respect for all identities. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, how many kids are still at that school after they announced this? Uh, too many, <laughs> apparently. Wow. Um, but... The video, by the way, it's got a video, you know, teaching video. The video features a, quote, gender snow person. Snowflake? <laughs> <laughs> who explains that gender identity comes from the brain and is who you know you are, whereas sexual orientation comes from the heart and is about who you love. This is such crap. Yes. The video describes sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression as part of a continuum or a spectrum. Students from kindergarten to the third grade will learn about sexual orientation based upon who they love, emphasizing that anyone can love anyone, while grades four and five will also learn the definitions of gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, and asexual, the video explains. Adventures in Woke World, y'all. Oh. By the way, I wrote a piece that came out this morning. Uh, 1819 News already ran it. It's, uh, we send it out to multiple newspapers around the state. Uh, I know the Athens Now. 
uh, and um, and, uh, and it's also, on our website. It's on our website. Oh, you already got it up. Mm-hmm. It's on, it's on our website right now. But I, I wrote a piece and 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 it came out and I, and I said clearly, conservatives want to educate our children, liberal progressives just want our children. And I and so so y'all you need to see it. It's it's up there right now. It's my latest piece. Um, I got more of this, but we're gonna take a break right now because I got to recover from the uh, the massive levels of wokeness yes. that I just experienced in those first two articles. That's just, oh. You want to text in or call in? Love to hear your thoughts on this stuff. Adventures in woke world eight three three six eight seven four 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 eight. That's eight three three six eight. Right. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. And uh, what, what you got? We, we, we had some uh, good texts coming oh, yeah? through. Yeah, well, John from Huntsville was saying, hey, Phil, uh, the people of Wisconsin must have brains made out of cheese. However, <laughs> okay. I do love me some good Wisconsin cheese. <laughs> okay, well, I agree with that. Yes. Uh, welcome, Alex from Elkmont, Alabama. Oh, brand just new texture brand new there. Texture. Yeah, Alex, yep. okay, good deal. I know we got some more. Uh, I'm sure you've seen some come in. I mean, they just flood us right now, which yeah. is awesome. Um, what do we have here? Uh, uh, I'm looking at trying to Louis from Birmingham just texted in and says, remember when society allowed doctors to properly identify the mental illness and prescribe proper help? You are Elmer J. Fudd and you own a mansion and a yacht. You are not a wabbit. We are literally <laughs> living in a looney tune. That was, you are not a wabbit. You are not. A, kill the wabbit. Kill, the okay. wabbit. <laughs> um, what else we got? Anybody else in there? Uh, we got a see. ton of text coming on through. Um, oh we, yeah, we got, uh, uh, just a, a gift there from Tony from Piedmont. Yes. Says the Kool-Aid only works if everyone drinks it. That's a, wow. Uh, Dustin from Hazel Green just did a lot of just uh, emoji throwing up faces <laughs> and shocked. What? Yeah. Um, Tracy from Athens says, good Lord. The good Lord has his head in his hands wondering where it all went wrong. You know what? I think the, I think the good Lord saw it coming. Um, that's, you know, mm. that's, that's why we have, uh, that's why we have grace and mercy and forgiveness. Um, uh, but, um, Anyway, uh, he loves us in spite of ourselves. Let's put it that way. Mm. Uh, Paul from Huntsville, um, Finland transgender ice skating. Google it. I've already seen it. So if you're not familiar with that story, Wait, you seen that? No. Okay. Well, first of all, I, I will say this one. That one's sad. That one, that one just bothers me. That almost uh. feels like somebody got taken advantage of. But apparently there's a dude who identifies as a chick in Finland who had a dream of being an ice skater. So at a national... Uh, like a national event, like a major uh, ice capades type event. They let him come out on the ice as a solo ice skater to live his dream, and it was awful. And he fell down. You could tell he didn't know what to do. Uh, oh. He was clumsy. He was awkward. He was wearing a dress. Oh. I mean, the whole thing, you look at it and think, whoever whoever authorized – it's like, have you ever been – Boomer, you ever been like in church and someone sings a solo and you realize they should not be singing a solo? Yes. That should not happen. Yes. And you sit there getting a cold it, sweat for him. Yeah. You just feel sorry for him. Like, did did you not prepare them correctly? Yeah, like, why didn't somebody speak truth to them? Yeah. 
Well, that's the Finland situation. You can you can look it up if you want to, but it's a sad story. I mean, I, I look mm-hmm. at it and think, golly, Bob, that's just that shouldn't have been allowed to happen. Here's something else shouldn't have been allowed to happen. Oh boy, Adventures in Woke World. Fox News has a story came out today. New York City forces all city employees to undergo radical critical race theory training. Whoa. Kid you not. Whoa. I'm looking at it. A source told Fox News that New York City is is moving forward under the racial equity lens. Mayor Eric Adams, his New York City government is forcing all employees into radical critical race theory-inspired training. The mandatory training was sent to all New York City employees of the March 6th deadline. The training provides all New York City employees with a framework to understand the importance of racial equity in the workplace. It says the uh, controversy comments expressed in the training is called critical race theory, which holds that America was and always will be, or excuse me, is and always was structurally racist. Um, It goes on to say that uh, uh, basically the training had no basis in scientific, uh, you know, form. And it says that there's no scientific basis to race. (laughs) That it was invented, that race is invented to create a system of, so, okay, there's no scientific basis for race. Now, there's no scientific basis for racial discrimination, but you cannot say that race doesn't exist. It just does. I mean, it's like saying there's no, there's the, you know, the definition of a woman. Come on, people. There's still science. Stop embarrassing yourself by putting out things like this. Well, the story, it actually says, quote, race has no genetic or scientific basis. It is a social construct created to classify people on the arbitrary basis of skin color and other. No, it's not. Just the way God made folks. We can't help that some are white, some are black, some are Asian, some are Hispanic. We can't help that there are, you know, uh, versions of people in the vast, you know, uh, arena of what God can do. He can make any number of versions of people, but they all have value in the eyes of God. It doesn't mean that you have to set aside and, and say, well, we know that race is not real. Race is, is, a, is a social construct. That's crap. Stop that. You're embarrassing yourself. This is what wokeism does. And by the way, that's a major contract. Someone's getting paid major taxpayer dollars to make sure that all of the thousands of city employees working for New York City have to sit through that video and check the block that they've done it. Or what? What I don't see is what happens if they don't. I would imagine that there is some punitive action that could be taken if they are not seen to have. And then, you know, what happens? you got the... Uh, you got the uh, you know, the, the supervisor sitting around going, have you done your training yet? Have you done your training yet? Have you done your training yet? Trying to make sure he's the first one to get all his people. Next story, Fox News. Also, Georgia cop, 19 years old, a Georgia cop, resigns after being suspended for religious posts on gay marriage on his Facebook page in his off time. He said that his beliefs did not lend him to believe that gay marriage exists. Now, gay marriage exists in the law, but he was talking about from his faith. And so, officer, former officer Jacob Kersey from the Port Wentworth Department, they actually put it in writing and told him that his views were considered to be mm, generating reasonable concerns regarding his objectivity. And so he was told that he could post direct scripture quotations, but he was not allowed to interpret them on his own Facebook page because people might question it. And he felt like he had to resign. And he's talking to a lawyer. Go figure. I didn't even get into Taylor Swift having a transgender man as her love interest in her last video. We'll leave that one lay. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
right side ruffians out there, you are listening to... You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, covering down on all of the issues. And like that dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Boom shakalaka, we are in hour number three. Wow. How did this happen? Man, it flew by today. I'm saying, I mean, I feel like we were just talking to Stephanie Smith a minute ago, and all of a sudden it's four (laughs) o'clock. I don't know what's happening. Um, Woo. But uh, but I, 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 to me though that's the that's the hallmark of a good show when you're when the flow is so good that you lose track of the time. It's um if it weren't for you holding the finger up to show me that I've got to go to a break, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd still be talking. Go to, go, to, go, to go to a break. I'd still be talking about the non-binary <laughs> fake Indian, uh, you know, who has the art queer art tattoo parlor in Wisconsin, <laughs> getting five thousand dollars a for a ten week. Oh my goodness. Whatever. I don't anyway. But had some textures on the line, by the way. Dustin from Hazel Green with regards to the um, the uh, transgender guy uh, uh, ice skating in Finland says, that's not sad, that's Darwin. Okay, I, I get what he's saying. He's saying survival of the fittest here, that that, that one's not going to make it. But it's still, it's still one of those where I look at it and think, somebody should have spoken truth to that person and not put them in the position. I mean, literally, it was so, it was so, it was so awkward that you, you watched it. They, she, I mean, the, the, the person came out there on the ice and immediately thought, what's happening? And then began to skate under a spotlight, you know, so she had a, he had a spotlight. Mm. And um, so was the sole focus of attention and just crashed and burned. Wow. Uh, Mel from Huntsville says the trans ice skater looked like he lost a bet and that was his fraternity brother's <laughs> idea of punishment. It did. <laughs> oh. it, it did look like that. It's like, okay, this can't be serious, but yet it was. Uh, Kenny from Elkmont says, if there's no race, why do they need racial equity training? That's a great point. Oh, that is a great point. That's one of those where I look at the, like Kenny from Elkmont's text and go, why didn't I think to say that myself? Nah. That's a great point. If there is no race, then why do they need racial equity training? Hmm. It's all in the same thing. Racial equity training, mandatory, which includes a portion that says race is a social construct is not real. But yet you've got to deal with it from an equity standpoint. That makes Man. no sense. I yeah. Kenny from Elkmont may have just wow. gotten applause, please, for Kenny. Do you have some applause? That was that was worthy. That was that was actually Kenny. definitely worthy. Thank you. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you. <laughs> We're proud to have you in the audience. Uh Badger from Athens just texted in. Says my wife started listening last week and now is loving you. Thank y'all. Badger, we're glad to have her on board. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. There was one from John from Huntsville. It was a stupid story. It was a woman from Israel sued a TV station when the weatherman wrongly predicted a nice day and she got caught in the rain. She sued for $1,000, claiming the incident caused her stress, and she won. She won? Okay, okay, first of all. I mean, come on. I'm not sure that's woke. That may just be a stupid story. That's just a stupid story. Like, we can't cure stupid. <laughs> like, you look at you it and go... can't cure stupid. It's hard. It's hard to define some things. There's a fine line between hardcore and stupid. 
There's also a fine line between woke and stupid. And sometimes woke is stupid, but nonetheless. <laughs> and and that, I will say that sounds to me like what they call a nuisance value. So there's a, there's a term of art we use uh, in the legal world where you settle a case for what's called the nuisance value. They're suing you for $10,000. It's going to cost you $15,000 to get it all the way to trial. You ask them if they'll accept $5,000 to go away, and they say yes. That's called the nuisance value. You gave them the nuisance value. It was a nuisance, and you paid them to get out of your life. Got it. Uh, by nuisance saving money value. in the long run. Um, so I'm not going to be a bit surprised if, if the woman who apparently has <laughs> emotional trauma from a rainstorm that from she didn't rain. know was coming. Yeah. Um, Golly, bomb. We're going to have to have disclaimers on. James Spann's going to have to have a weather disclaimer now. <laughs> I may be wrong. <laughs> yeah. What's the thing we do for lawyers? Uh, no representation made. The quality of weather-provided <laughs> services is equal to the quality of legal weather-provided <laughs> services at the next station down the road. Um, all right, we're switching gears. Got to. Got to. Serious business. And it is serious business. On a war footing. This is number three of the Triple Dipper. I'm calling it on a war footing. What does that mean? Well, a war footing means you're leaning forward in the foxhole. You are literally in a position where you believe that there is something imminent, and so you're getting ready, or you're watching world events, and you're keeping an eye on the horizon. And, and listen, uh, this is not meant to be a warmonger-type presentation, all right? I'm going to recount to you what's being said in the news, what's being said by senior officials in the military and out. It's ominous in some ways, uh, but I'll, I'll just caveat by saying everybody who's ever had the requirement, the need, the, the opportunity or whatever to go to war, generally speaking, doesn't want war. Um, and I think that's, that's very true here, certainly true on this show. Um, but push too far and we'll be there. And like we said earlier in the monologue, uh, to push too far, and by God, somebody else is going to be raising your children. But right now, we got situations brewing in the world that are, that are pretty ominous. The first story I've got came out uh, over the weekend. It uh, came out Saturday. U.S. News and World Report has a piece that was first run by Reuters. U.S. four-star general warns of war with China in 2025. Okay, so here's the thing. I will caveat this by saying this was apparently an internal memorandum, a, a leadership piece, if you will, by a senior leader to his subordinate leaders, letting them know why it's so important to get their training online. So first of all, I appreciate that. Secondly, what's happened now is since he put this in writing like he did, it's becoming a news story because he's a four-star general. So this is a four-star general, Mike Minahan, who commands Air Mobility Command. By the way, AMC, Air Mobility Command, is a major command, as evidenced by the fact that their commander has four stars. But a four-star U.S. Air Force general says in a memo that his gut told him the United States would fight China in the next two years. Comments that Pentagon officials said were not consistent with American military assessments. I hope I'm wrong, says General Mike Minahan, who commands the Air Mobility Command, as he wrote to his leadership of roughly 110,000 members. But my gut tells me we will fight in 2025. It goes on to say in the article, um, the general's views do not represent the Pentagon, but show concern at the highest levels of the U.S. military over a possible attempt by China to exert control over Taiwan, which China claims is a territory. Both the U.S. and Taiwan We'll be holding presidential elections in 2024, which creates an opportunity for China to take military action, Minahan wrote. So what he's saying there is this. We are a nation in which the civilian leadership of the military is paramount, is part of our, um, is part of our constitutional mandates. 
There is civilian leadership of the military. And when you have a presidential election, it begins to create flux and distraction. Well, it's not going to be just us, but Taiwan is also having their own presidential election at the exact same time. I'm a firm believer that the military can walk and chew gum at the same time. Will it be a distraction? Potentially. Does it mean that there won't be the ability to uh, uh, do what is necessary? No. But what it does mean is that while President Biden uh, is out on the campaign trail, it makes it harder for him to exert command and control. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how much command and control he could exert right now anyway. But what they're saying here is there will be a um, distracted level of leadership in both countries, Taiwan and the U.S., and that our near-peer adversary being China, uh, the, the rising threat on the world stage, the most aggressive posture we have in the world right now besides Russia, which Russia is focused mostly on Ukraine, but Russia is also a bad actor in general other places, Syria being one. What we're seeing right now, though, is that China is being considered more and more of not just an adversary, but an actual foe. So that article right there came out over the weekend. The next day, during the Sunday uh, afternoon talk show or Sunday uh, talk shows, on Fox News Sunday, Congressman Mike McCall, who is the chairman, the new chairman of Foreign Affairs, House Foreign Affairs Committee in the House of Representatives, he was on with Shannon Bream. His response to General Minahan's comments, he said, I hope he's wrong, but I think he's right. McCall said that if China failed to take control of Taiwan bloodlessly, meaning like just a coup, that they're going to look at a military invasion, in my judgment, and we have to be prepared for this. And he accused the Democratic administration of President Joe Biden of projecting weakness, especially in the wake of the bungled pullout from Afghanistan, which could make a war with China more likely because they feel empowered. He says the odds are very high that we could see a conflict with China and Taiwan and the, in the Indo-Pacific, McCall said. That's from Newsmax, stated Sunday, yesterday. Um, so, folks, this is, this is getting serious. But when you look at it, I got other stories here that we're going to go through, not just about us, but here's one more, though, about the possibility of a conflict with China. And I look at this one, and part of me says this article almost feels like a plant to help the uh, military-industrial complex make more money. <laughs> Call me cynical. But Fox Business came out with a story yesterday. So there's a new report by the Center for Strategic and International Studies, CSIS, a 44-page report that warned that U.S. military stockpiles of key munitions and the capacity of our industrial base to ramp up as needed could mean that we would burn through our existing precision weapon stockpiles in less than a week in a potential war with China, meaning we, we, we don't have enough not only in stock but, but industrial capacity to up the stock in a surge moment. True or no true? I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I, don't have any, I don't have anything other than this article to tell me what's what on that. Now, my sense is the military-industrial complex is ready to make money tomorrow, if necessary, and they're saying that they want to make more, but they don't want to do it for free, obviously. They want to get paid. Capitalism. But the senior vice president at CSIS, Seth Jones, says the bottom line is the defense industrial base, in his judgment, is not prepared for the security environment that now exists. He says it's better suited to a peacetime environment. But how do you effectively deter if you don't have sufficient stockpiles? And he went on to say, again, Chairman Mike McCall of the House Foreign Affairs Committee said in the same interview that I quoted a moment ago on Newsmax, in this case, he said he's very worried about the situation. He says our industrial defense, our defense industrial base is broken. 
He said, I signed off on foreign military weapon sales three years ago that have yet to go to Taiwan. We need that deterrence. But if we don't have the weapons, that's critical. And McCall noted that Congress had approved additional funding. Anyway, it goes on to say about the fact that literally we're looking at a bipartisan call for upping the military industrial complex to make sure that we are ready and stockpiled and we also have the capacity to surge in the event that it's necessary. Will we have a war with China in 2025? Lord, I hope not. Senior leaders are saying, get your training in line. Senior officials are saying, get your logistics in line, because right now on the world stage, we need to make sure that we're ready. All right, we're going to come back, and I'm going to talk about some things that relate. Like, what are we sending to Ukraine? And what did one senior military official in the U.S. say to the British about their own capacity? And who attacked the Iranian weapons factory most recently? And have you heard about the Wagner Group? I'll tell you about them when we get back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right, saving the world one soundbite at a time. I'm not sure how we did this, but Boomer and I got to talking about the nastiness of raising kids sometimes. <laughs> we did. We did. We, we, we go all the way up until the very last second right we're, before we were all there. We're, we're talking about <laughs> diapers gone wrong, if you know what I'm saying. Like, like we, we could do a, we could do a whole... We could, oh, my gosh. <laughs> The things, the things that we do for our kids, you know. Mm. Oh my gosh! Oh, I'm yes. just anyway. I, I, oh, oh yes. I totally. Die. Let me get myself back in the game here, boom. <laughs> um, hey, uh, looking over the text line, I saw. By the way, <laughs> Boomer. Uh, uh, yeah, Leanne from Huntsville heard I you sneeze. Yeah, she says. Uh, she says, "Did Boomer sneeze? Bless I, you." I did. I'm sorry. I I just had one coming, and I, and I turned off my mic, so that was uh, good. <laughs> Alex from Elkmont has heard me talk about raising kids. He says, sticky kid hands. Yes, I get it. And you make them make you wonder why they're sticky. Uh, Brian from Huntsville says, as a former M1A1 tanker, why are we sending main battle tanks without sufficient air superiority? I don't know because uh, he may be referring to the fact that a story broke just a few minutes ago while we were on the air. I say a few minutes ago. I, I saw it a few minutes ago, but I think it's brand spanking new like during the show that the Biden administration says it will not be sending F-16s. Um, does that mean they're sending something else? I don't know. I mean, they're talking about you know mothballing our A-10 flight uh, uh, fleet, but I, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But uh, and I hope not. By the way, I love the A-10. Uh, but so Brian, to answer your question, I don't know because yeah, you know what? Combined arms is the way to go. You're going to want uh, air superiority to match uh, ground superiority. Um, who knows, Brian? I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, but but I also look at it too, though, and I think. Maybe what they're looking at is the the systems on the F-16 would have to get totally retooled for the language barrier and the things that are necessary so that we don't send over classified, you know, uh, uh, materials. I don't know, Brian. I'm speculating. But uh, it may also be that they're waiting on Poland or somebody else to send something of an equivalent uh, for them to use um, that uh, is not a an F-16. 
So who knows? Uh, and, and by the way, will we send attack helicopters? I don't know. Uh, I don't know where we're going with this. Uh, Tony from Piedmont says logistics is everything in a war with no glory. That's, that's exactly right. You can't get the beans and bullets to the front line. Guess what? The war comes to a grinding halt. Uh, if you look at the Battle of the Bulge in World War II, um, it was superior fighting force on the American side, but it was also the fact that the, the Germans outran their gas uh, logistics. They, they, didn't, they, they could no longer fuel their tanks. That was a big part of the problem uh, and why the Battle of the Bulge came down to it. Uh, logistics are a huge deal. Um, uh, Jeff from Indiana says he smells a class action lawsuit against Alexandria Cortez and the global warming alarmists to say we only got 12 years left. I don't know where this comes from or why that sparked that one, but all right, Jeff, but I'm not your lawyer on that one. I'll just tell you. Um, all right. Hey, listen, uh, uh, Tony from Piedmont. Yeah. Pre-prep of fleets and equipment just waiting. Um, yep. I, I agree, man. Listen, but what's, it's not just us. It's not just us. Story here on Fox News. Um, dated yesterday. U.S. General warns the British Army is no longer among the world's top-tier fighting forces. Ooh, that had to be. I mean, if that's a serious conversation. The interesting thing is I don't think they cite the name of the so-called U.S. General. It says a senior U.S. General has recently warned U.K. Defense Secretary Ben Wallace that the British Army is no longer considered to be among the world's top ten fighting forces, according to a Sunday report. I don't know that I would agree with this, but anyway. Says a source told Wallace that decades of cuts to Britain's military defense has eroded the country's fighting capabilities. A source is quoted as saying, bottom line, it's an entire service unable to protect the UK and our allies for a decade. Wow. Um, this would be interesting. It, but again, it's, it's, a, it's an unnamed U.S. general. It says the U.S. general is also said to have told Wallace that the UK military is not a tier one fighting force like the United States, Russia, China, or France, and is barely in tier two. Now, I don't think we're seeing tier one capability out of Russia in Ukraine right now. Uh, I don't know that we can say France is definitely there because, anyway, um, this is an interesting article. But it's a, you know, heavily cited article, but based upon, um, you know, unnamed sources, which I always speculative in my opinion. But nonetheless, we're looking at it. Earlier this month, it says, though, the Ukraine uh, recognized the need to modernize, but did also pledge to send Ukraine tanks after Kyiv again fell victim to missile strikes. Uh, and goes on to say that the Ukraine's, uh, it was send Ukraine Challenger 2 tanks. That's their main battle tank. Um, we're gonna, speaking of tanks, we're going to come right back and keep this moving. On a war footing, what else is happening? And yes, we are sending Abrams tanks to Ukraine. But are we sending new ones or reserve fleet? Interesting. We'll talk about it when we get back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right. Mm-hmm. 
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Hey, listen, before we go any further, I got to tell you, ZLA Solutions, one of our original sponsors, has been with the show since the very beginning, is having an amazing track record right now of connecting jobs and people. So they do all kinds of things at ZLA Solutions, business and solutions, things like quality containment, sorting and quality control, sorting and containment, uh, warehousing, logistics. But they are bread and butter, man. Their bread and butter is uh, doing uh, staffing. They can they can get you the people that you need. So yes, if you need onesies and twosies, or you need an entire shift of people, blue collar, white collar, no collar, it don't matter. ZLA Solutions can help you find the people you need for the workforce that you need. They can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing, all of it. And it doesn't matter whether it's direct hire or temp. They help people left and right. They've got a major thing going right now, by the way. I mean, they do all kinds of different job sourcing, but they've got a a major hire right now for um, uh, a big-name employer at a new facility, take it for what it's worth, at Redstone Arsenal, high-tech jobs, well-paying. On their website right now, you can check it out. But yeah, ZLA Solutions, one of our original sponsors of the show. ZLA Solutions, you can find them at ZLAUSA.com. That's ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. And please tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. I'm in number three of the Triple Dipper on a war footing. We're talking about, you know, what's going on militarily, what is going on with readiness, what's happening in other places in the world. I told you that a moment ago, allegedly, one U.S. senior defense official uh, has told the U.K. British uh, uh, Minister of Defense that he does not believe that the uh, British Army is still a Tier 1 fighting force. That's, that's interesting. I hope that's not true. Um, I don't have anything more than just my experiences of interacting with them along the, on the years to, to say that I think they're, they're, they're still an outstanding fighting force, but, but, he's, but they, they say no, that it's not. Too many cuts. You, you've degraded the military to a point where it's no longer recognizable. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what the article says. I told you about the article a moment ago in which uh, one senior four-star commander, General Mike Minahan, the commander of uh, Air Mobility Command, sent out a memorandum to his subordinates letting them know that he believes that they better get their training online and, and provide a serious emphasis in readiness because, in his words, he believes that we could be at war with China in 2025. While at the same time, uh, a recent study came out um, for the Center for, oh gosh, what was the NCIS? I've forgotten anyway, but the bottom line, NSIS, is, um, is saying that we are at a deficit right now in our capabilities to provide the necessary logistics for some of our key weapon systems. That not only do we have a deficit in our stockpiles, but that we have a deficit in our surge capacity to uh, make our industrial military complex, uh, you know, bring it up to speed if we need more. Um, and then I've got this. Stars and Stripes, dated January 26th, which I believe is what, last Thursday or Friday, um, literally says uh, that there is a, um, uh, a push right now, of course, for the Abrams tanks to be provided to Ukraine, but that our U.S. military has no spares. And this is not what I've been hearing. I, I thought we were sending them refurbished M1A2s. Which, you know, M1A2s is still a very current model, and depending upon which version of the M1A2 you get. But, but right now, this particular official who is the Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary, Sabrina Singh, says new Abrams tanks will be purchased by the U.S. to supply to Ukraine because the Defense Department does not have any spares. What happened to our stockpiles? What happened to our prepos? What happened to our refurbishing? I, I don't know. 
somebody who's more tank-centric can, can text me and tell me what's up. But Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin recommended to President Joe Biden to obtain the tanks through this Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, a funding program that procures military equipment from industry rather than from existing Defense Department stocks. Huh. So that's the recommendation being made, because in her words, we just don't have these tanks available in our excess U.S. stocks. Singh also said Ukraine will get 31 modified M1A2s, which is the newest and most sophisticated version that first entered service back in the 90s, and goes on to say, but then there's also, there are certain classified armor and armament packages and even sighting packages that can come, and the federal policy forbids the U.S. from sending classified packages to other countries. So we'll see. But then they go on to say, and here's the thing, you know, the announcement made, we're going to send M1 tanks. Great. How long is that going to take? Because we know, and, I, and I've forgotten who it was that, that told us the other day, it may have been uh, Brian from Huntsville, but that, that we could be looking at 90 days just to train somebody. Well, that's, first you have to get them, then you got to train them, then you got to have the log trains, the logistics to support them. You got to have the backup spare parts. Pentagon officials have said it will be several months before Ukraine receives the tanks. Some experts speculate they might not even see them until late 2023 or early 2024. And then, yeah, she says what I said a moment ago. These tanks are going to require training, maintenance, sustainment. It's going to take a very long time. This is this is not an overnight deal. This is not a, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> same-day delivery by Amazon.com. It ain't going to happen. Um, we got Brian on the phone? My tank man. All right. Brian from Huntsville. How you doing, bud? Mighty fine. I hope you gentlemen are doing okay. We are. What's up, man? What you got? Well, uh, one thing is uh, the 3rd Armored Cavalry Regiment is no longer the 3rd Armored Cavalry Regiment because it went to third back to 3rd Cavalry Regiment because of strikers. So all those tanks went someplace. Well, that's and a, a lot of times, yeah, and a lot of times these tanks go to National Guard units and then they replace old vehicles there. That's a great point. Um, but don't we also have like pre-post stockpiles in Europe and other places where we've got a whole warehouses and, and boneyards full of... Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. Saudi yeah. Arabia, yep. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of places in, in boneyards with those things. Well, but, I, uh, I'm just hard. curious. And by the way, Third ACR. Yes, I was very familiar. Uh, family member was in in there when it was Third CR most recently, uh, and and they in fact they were they were with Strikers. Um, but you're right. That's that's an entire you know conversion of a big chunk of a cavalry regiment into a you know basically putting it back into a cav mode as opposed to an armored cav mode. Um, I don't know where so, they uh, went. Well, I, 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 there's a lot of M1s, not just M1A ones. There's a lot of M1s that had the 105 millimeter on them, not the 120 smoothbore, which matches up with NATO, and it's a German gun on there. Hmm. On the M1, and the M1A1 and A2, and that was the reason they went over to those. Well, somebody's going to somebody's going to make yeah. some money here if they're going to be building 31 brand new Abrams to send over. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I'm guessing it's not General Dynamics anymore. I don't know. I know GD is still very much involved, but uh, hang on, Boomer's talking. Okay. What you got? Hey, I actually have a question. How long does it take to build a tank? A, a tank. I, I I don't know the answer to this. Do you? Do you know? I, do, I don't know how long it takes to build one, but to get somebody ha even modestly proficient in crewing one 
you're talking at least nine to ten weeks, and that's just to get them to where they can drive it and they can gun it. Wow. And, yeah, and that's not even cross-training on the, the different jobs within the tank, driver versus gunner versus TC yeah. or whatever. Um, and, and then it takes a long time to make sure you don't flip a tank over in a uh, in a firing pit like I saw somebody do, too. Um <laughs> So yeah. it, 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 it takes more to be, it takes a little bit to be not even proficient, but to be functional, it takes longer to be proficient. Yeah. Well, we'll see, ma'am, because right now this article is saying they may not even get their Abrams until early next year at the latest. Um, well, then, then, then maybe they got the chance to get some air superiority in there. Send, send, send them some of our uh, A-10 Warthogs were retiring. Um I don't want to lose the A10 though. The A10 to me is a, such a I such a beautiful thing. thing. I mean, just I stood before before I hit NCO. I stood guard duty on two at the, at the field at, out of El Paso in Fort Bliss you, many times before I became sergeant of the guard. So. And just just you, you watch them do gun runs on their practice ranges. Oh yes, and when I went to Reforger and everything. Those little beasts were magnificent going overhead <laughs> and everything. Yeah, there's something comforting about seeing an A-10 come overhead. But um, all right, Brian, you and I can just wax right. poetic hey, about this all day, man. You take care, I'll buddy. I'll let you go. All right. Uh, i tell you what. Let's do What you got, Boone? I got – well, I just, I just asked the Google about how long it took. <laughs> did you really? The I Oracle did. of Google gave you something? It did. What 12, did it to, 12 to 24 weeks. Twelve to twenty-four and weeks to build. That's going to to build a upon, tank, depending on like all the options they're putting on it. Yeah, but also I'm sure to depend upon, you know, are, are the parts ready? Are they having to cast them? Correct. Uh, and then there was another one I just you know typed in M1 Abram and it said five months to produce a single Abram. So if they're buying thirty-one new ones, <laughs> not using some that are right. ready. Off now the that shelf. could be completely wrong, but that's what the Google says. Why don't we do this? Why don't we? Buy us 31 new ones yeah. and give them 31 old ones and say, good luck, fellas. And, and you know, and I, I guarantee, I guarantee you, though, those 31 old ones will still be better than what the, so- the Soviets, the Russians are putting on the field. Absolutely. Just my thoughts. And y'all were talking about boneyards. Yeah. Like, I'm sure there's, on the boneyards, are those unworkable or are they no. just ones that, ah, we're just not using anymore? No, Anderson Army Depot right down the road. That's yeah. part of their mission in life is to refurbish um, uh, armored vehicles that have been um, damaged or in some cases destroyed. And they, they can even pirate the parts off of one and build another. Wow. Um, so uh, it's amazing what they do out there. We need, we need to get somebody from Anderson Army Depot on the show sometime. That would be cool. That would be cool. All right. We're just, it's like, we're just, we are go. we on the air? We're just having a talk. <laughs> just me and just you chatting. hanging out. Uh, hey, let's do this. I'm going to tell you real quickly, folks. Just Love Coffee Cafe uh, has, has got two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. And, and I'm just going to tell you right now. If you have not done this, you need to think about this. If you're one of those who gets lunch where you can leave the office and go somewhere, the lunch menu at Just Love Coffee Cafe is epic good, and it's different. It's not like the usual. You're not going to get something that you're going to get anywhere else. I mean, like, picture your sandwiches, but they're toasted in a waffle iron, so they come out with that kind of waffly texture on them. And they've got wraps, and they've got soups, and they've got salads, and they've got all kinds of stuff you're not going to find anywhere else. On top of that, it's still Just Love Coffee Cafe. So, yeah, if you want the cappuccino or the espressos or the lattes or the fancy uh, award-winning dry roast coffees that can grind the beans fresh, absolutely. All of that. Just Love Coffee Cafe. 
with an environment you're going to want to sit in. You can use the Wi-Fi. You can do your work there for a while if you want to. Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. Check them out. And do me a favor, when you're, when you're paying at the counter, tell them I heard about this on Right Side Radio. I, I get the biggest kick out of folks telling me that they, they heard it there. All right, uh, Boomer, take us to the break. We'll do that right now. We'll come right back. I'll wrap up this section on a war footing. Did you hear about the uh, latest special operations raid in Somalia? You didn't? It happened this past weekend. I'll tell you about it. Stay tuned. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right. Hey, um, I got to tell you real quickly, my friends at Riley and Jackson Law Firm, true, they are my friends. I know these folks personally. Uh, I've worked with them on issues. I've worked with them on cases. This is a solid law firm based out of Birmingham that operates statewide. And they've been working on some big stuff. Uh, so, for instance, one of them is if you are one of those who was at um, – uh, uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, anywhere between 1953 and 1987, big spread. Uh, if you were there during that time frame, you may have been exposed to contaminated water, known contaminated water. And I believe there's a window of time in which you have to apply for your claims because there's like 19 different illnesses that have been attributed to it. Or maybe for that matter, you're a dependent, not just a service member, but a dependent of a service member or a contractor, or you lost someone you love because of this. Yes, Riley and Jackson, they can tell you. They can talk you through it. They'll tell you on the phone, no charge for the call, whether or not you may or may not have a claim. And they don't get paid unless they get you paid. Same is true for any number of things they work on. They've, they've got like decades of, of, of good work out there helping people who have been harmed by the negligence of others to become whole uh, under the law. So Riley and Jackson Law Firm, here's their number. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to suggest you call them. Again, they won't charge you for the call. The number is 205-879-5000. That's Riley and Jackson, 205-879-5000. One of those law firms that I say is not just good on the law, they're good on the politics too, if you know what I mean. So Riley and Jackson, 205-879-5000. Here's that thing I got to do, Boomer. No representation made. The quality of legal service being forwarded. Great, the quality of legal service forwarded by the lawyers. Well, that was fast, <laughs> I, and I didn't time it. <laughs> it's on the ones that I don't time. I, that's, I'm pretty sure that was my best one ever. <laughs> we'll I, find out. I feel I'm sure certain. J, was it, is it JT that times it? I don't know. Someone well, times I say, it. Say, uh, maybe John from Huntsville, John, JT, somebody. Yeah. Uh, um, hey, listen, uh, get back to finishing up our section here on, on a war footing. Number three of the Triple Dipper. NBC News, dated... January 26th, which I believe was last Thursday. I mean, we've got troops in harm's way right now. A lot of folks forget that. We may not have the high-profile actions going on in Iraq, in uh, Afghanistan like we did, but we've got troops in Syria. Uh, we've got troops in dangerous conditions in Africa. we got, we got troops that are sitting on the border of uh, Ukraine right now. And we got special operations conducting a raid in northern Somalia to kill a senior leader of the Islamic State and 10 other ISIS fighters this past Wednesday. 
according to two senior administration officials. It says Bilal al-Sadani, who the officials described as a key operative and a facilitator of the terror group's global network, was the target of the raid. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said in the statement that al-Sadani was responsible for fostering the growing presence of ISIS in Africa and funding the group's operations worldwide, including in Afghanistan. So this was a special operations mission. Uh, literally, apparently, they, they, they built a mock-up. I mean, this is a full-on operation. They built a mock-up of, uh, of the village or wherever it was they were going, uh, practiced for a great deal of time, um, extensive rehearsals, it says. Uh, and then the operation, it says, not only yielded uh, the taking out of uh, the key leader and 10 other ISIS fighters, but also yielded a great deal of intelligence. They say our intelligence community expects to glean valuable information for this operation as well, demonstrating our continued emphasis on maximizing intel collection. Okay, all that to say, major raid. For them to issue the press release means it was a major raid with success. Clandestine in its efforts, overt in its results. We have troops in harm's way right now. And, you know, as we're on a war footing, let's not forget that the bad guys are still out there doing what they do. This was not something that we were helping another nation with something that we don't care as much about. No, this is ISIS operating in northern Somalia. And, and folks, we're, we're over there right now. We've got, a, we've got, I assume we still have a base in the Horn of Africa. Um, and it's, it's in Djibouti. And it's just, it's amazing to me how many troops we have in harm's way, even now, as we talk about things like near-peer conflict in two years with China, we still have troops in harm's way right now. Story on MSN. Israeli drone attack on Iranian weapons factory was a phenomenal success, say sources. It says despite, this came out, by the way, uh, yesterday. Despite Iranian claims, the Israeli drone attack on Iran at Isfahan, which is a nuclear weapons base, uh, military industry factory, uh, was a tremendous success, according to a mix of Western intel and foreign sources. The Jerusalem Post initially reported that on its Sunday morning. So here's the thing. Iran's nuclear efforts are still very much underway. They are a destabilizing factor in not just the Middle East, but the world, but especially the Middle East. Iran being, if I'm not mistaken, Shia Islam, is at odds on a daily basis with Sunni Islam, which is often found in Saudi Arabia and other major uh, Arabic countries. And they are, right now, If the, 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 the sense is that if Iran goes nuclear, that Israel is immediately at risk, and oh, by the way, so is the rest of the Middle East, and there will be a Middle Eastern arms race that we may not want to see. So right now, what you're looking at is Iran's foreign ministry calling this a cowardly attack aimed at creating insecurity in Iran. Well, yeah, it was aimed at creating insecurity, but it wasn't cowardly because they literally struck deep within the boundaries of Iran. And Israel's playing mum. I mean, they're not saying much about it. Ain't going to say boo. But folks, I'm just telling you, stuff's happening every single day. And we need to make sure that we stay on a war footing, praying for peace, preparing for war. All right, folks. There's my perspective. What a good day. What a great day. Hey, I'm going to make a quick shout out to Alex from Elkmont and his son, Bryson. Awesome. I just wanted to give him a shout out. Glad they're there. Yeah. Appreciate you, Boom. Hey, this is a great, great show. Great guys. All right, guys. You have a great night. Boomer and I back here tomorrow, too. We'll see you then.
right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.